Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Armchair Book and Wrestling Podcast. I am your host. My name is Steve, and my co-host is Kyle. Say hello, Kyle. Good evening, and a special shout-out to Hank tonight. Yep. Yeah, thank you, Hank, also known as Rich, for joining us last week. Uh, if For people who don't know him, Rich is actually one of the funniest people that Kyle and I know. He's also one of the most intelligent. He just doesn't know a lot about wrestling. And so he's got a lot of studying up to do. He's going to get back with us. <laughs> but, so Kyle, how have you been? You said you did not watch the Rumble last night? I have watched highlights only. Like I said, um, I, I just can't give WWE my money for what they're putting out right now. Uh, well, fortunately, our topic that we're doing this week was absolutely free. And that is... The main event, it was actually a show, a primetime show they had, and we're going to be talking about the very first one they had. It was February 5th, 1988. And the main event was Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant, a rematch from WrestleMania three the year prior. But before we get started, I want to go ahead and give out our contact and listening info. If you'd like to call in live during this broadcast, it's area code 319-527-6089. If you'd like to email us, it's armchairbookingpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash armchairbookingpodcast. Find us on Twitter at bookingarmchair. We have a YouTube channel. The link is actually also in the description. You can find us on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And there you can actually listen to our archives. You can listen to this episode and every other episode we've done so far. And last and certainly not least, if you want to help with Small and Mean Selena Dean's GoFundMe, uh, GoFundMe fundraiser to help with the medical bills pertaining to her mom's breast cancer, please go to the link that we have provided. If you for some reason can't get a hold of it, just let myself or Kyle know, and we will, we will help you out. Kyle, did I miss anything? No, I think you got everything again. All right, cool. I'm on a roll. All right, so... Yeah, when we first started talking about this main event, because it is almost now the 33rd anniversary of this, wow. And I actually remember watching this when I was all of uh, 14. And oh, man. I, yeah, I still remember sitting in my living room there in Pine Bluff, North Carolina. I was a freshman in high school, and I was I was watching this. And it was a, it was a huge deal, and this has been the highest rated wrestling show still to this date. And that's saying something, considering what the ratings were like during the Monday Night Wars. And, and, and that's an odd thing in itself. The popularity uh, of the product in the '80s won, but how infrequently these type of main event matches. Hogan and Andre never had a rematch outside of the Survivor Series where they were on teams. This was the first rematch, whereas you're going to see interactions and matches from the Royal Rumble last night here on Raw momentarily. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, because I'm actually well, I have raw on as well, and I, I believe that's what we've been doing here lately. We both have raw on. We just have it on silent mode. I guess I could put on the caption, but then I'd start paying attention to that, not not paying attention to us, which is where I should be paying attention to. But yeah, you're right. Because now, as soon as they have like the very next night after a pay per view, even like a major pay per view, they'll have the rematch. Uh, they did it a little bit different back then. They would they would actually make you wait for it. And this one, I mean, I thought because it, it was you, know, you got to think about. It. I mean, this was. In February, WrestleMania it was in late March, so you're talking 11 months later, 10 and a half months later, that they finally had the rematch, an actual one-on-one rematch besides just the kind of teaser thing at the uh, Survivor Series. And this is great, um, was great to pull up and watch again because uh, I was eight when this came out, and... I couldn't stay up till 11 to watch it. So we, we went to bed and had to be woken up to watch the the main event. Well, this one was actually at like 8 o'clock at night on a Friday. That's why it was, it was in prime time. Now, normally Saturday night's main event was at 11 o'clock at night because it would take the place of Saturday Night Live – uh, whenever they would have it. But this particular card, or this particular show, rather, was in prime time. That's right. No, uh, we we used to get woken up for wrestling events because we had a strict uh, 8 o'clock bedtime at, at that age. And getting to stay up till to watch this kind of stuff didn't didn't happen frequently in my house. And speaking of rematches, you got Edge and Randy Orton. Yeah, I just saw that. Uh, and I, I'm just very on the fence about. Well, actually, no. I'll, I'll say I I would not have chose Edge to uh, be the the Rumble winner last night. Like I told you earlier, yeah, go ahead. M- Moment-wise, um, highlight of the Rumble was Christian getting his go-away match. And, you, think, and having, you, think you think it's a go-away match? With his concussion history, the Rumble is one place to protect him. I don't know if uh, he's going to be back full-time like Edge. Well, even Edge, he's trying to be back full time. But how many matches did he have last year before he got injured again? He had the Rumble, too. Yeah, was it, or was it? Well, does the Rumble count? Well, the Rumble counts. Then he had the WrestleMania. He tore his tricep in the WrestleMania match, didn't he? Yeah. I knew he, I knew he tore it. I just didn't know. I couldn't remember if it was WrestleMania match or if it was something following the WrestleMania match. But either way, he did. You know, he. Uh, you could count the number of matches he had last year on one hand and have fingers left over. And but, he's already hurt. But you got Christian, who um, came back, probably the sentimental moment. Carlito coming back was a surprise. 
a lot right. of people have some have some issue with that because why are you bringing back Carlito when you have other people on the roster who didn't even get a chance to be in it? Then get yourself over. True. But where was um, where was Bray Wyatt? Bray Wyatt still selling the uh, burning from Randy Orton. And if I could buy that. That's, if you have Orton and Edge going one two in the Rumble, why bring Bray Bray back? I think Bray will be back tonight, though. Uh, yeah, I could definitely see that, um, especially with the way Alexa Bliss uh, last night, uh, the way she kind of transformed right in the middle. Because I was like, you know, if if Bianca Belair doesn't win this, I could see Alexa Bliss being put over. And then she ended up getting thrown out. But I thought Rhea Ripley was so close. I, well, I, I thought, oh, uh, that was that that was cool. The way at one point, like right when it was just them two, and then they were both on the outside, and River was like, "Okay, slowly, slowly, don't don't make any sudden moves, because you know we will both get back in the ring at the same time." And they did, and then it you know went on from there. But I thought that was cool. And the funny thing about this was, um, my friend Waylon and I, we were texting a few days before the rumble. And I mentioned, I said, I could see Bianca Belair winning it all because she was the dominant non-winner last year. So it just makes sense to give her the nod this year. And he said, yeah, he said it would be either her or Rhea Rhea Ripley. He said they're number one and number two as far as I'm concerned. And sure enough, that's that's the final two. And, And yeah, so he called it pretty good. And it does look like, uh, Bianca Belair and Sasha Sasha Banks for WrestleMania. And yeah, because I was starting thinking, which would be a better match, Bianca and Sasha Banks or Bianca and Asuka? But I think because of the styles, I think yeah, Bianca and Sasha would probably would be a better match. And they're going for the history component, and one day we will live in a world where that won't be such a thing it should be a thing now i mean it's things i know what you're going with things like that really should not matter and it when you when you think about the way things used to happen in wrestling it was something that was going on when i first started watching it it was slowly fading away but it wasn't fading away fast enough and it was not something that i had ever put my finger on and in case anybody's listening and wondering what we're talking about it's I guess about, how would you say it, the push, I guess, or um, really the number of minority, you know, particularly African-American wrestlers in the wrestling industry at the time. There's not a tremendous amount of representation. Uh, There is, there's a lot more now than what there used to be because it used to be back in the day, uh, Kamala, when he talked about this, this is where I first heard about this. When, if you can find Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast where he interviewed Kamala, and first of all, it's wild to think about. You know, we see Kamala, the Ugandan giant. He never spoke English on TV because he was supposed to be from Uganda. Even though, and guess what language they speak in Uganda? English. But 
<laughs> I have friends in Uganda that I met when I was stationed in England. They went to my church over there. You know, but yes, yes, they speak English. But he never spoke during his interviews. And then when you hear him talk, he was just so mild-mannered and soft-spoken and probably one of the nicest people you could ever meet. But he was talking about when he'd go from territory to territory, sometimes it was hard for him because they were limited. They would only have one or two black wrestlers. That was it. And well, it it wasn't something I, I had ever really thought about, you know, growing up because uh, when I first started watching, they were getting away from that, but there were still very few. And when, go ahead. We, when we watched wrestling, the there were a lot of stereotypes that you and I know you want to talk about this in another episode. There were a lot of stereotypes. You cannot tell me watching the Reverend Slick that that is not an awful stereotype. Oh, I think I think it is. And, uh, and I, I was that, not a fan of the Slick character back then because I thought it was them pushing a stereotype. Because, and I'll say the WWF, WWE, they're more guilty of pushing stereotypes like that than any other organization in wrestling. And they do it today. Yeah, Not I mean, they, but but we're watching Raw right now. Um, only one member of Retribution in the Royal Rumble last night. Um, he is Muslim. Do you think he does not? He's not untalented. He's a talented wrestler. Oh, Mustafa Ali, he's very talented. He's just but, he's the, only, the only thing about him. He's just injury prone. I think that's the only thing that's kept him from already um, getting some gold. But is he not being pushed? Or yes, yes and no. I mean, he's. Um, I think they well put him as part of retribution. I mean, it does give him a chance to be part of something. And maybe not necessarily as a single singles, but he's like the leader of a faction, so that's really not a bad push. But you're right, he's Muslim of Pakistani origin. And then going to the first match on the undercard, um, then Charlotte Flair losing to Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax, like we predicted. Mm-hmm. Asuka's a, a single mother, a business owner, and... Quite, uh, quite a celebrity out in Japan, and apparently she's a great big video game nerd. Yes. So, uh, and she just does goofy stuff on, on television. That's her character here. And I think you know what? That's her. That's her having fun. You know, she enjoys it. Um, and but, because she she speaks English. But part of the-, uh, the good one. Um, so I was still awake when Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax won the match. And the comments about Shayna Baszler's appearance on the wrestling boards. See, I, I, I haven't seen any of those boards. Um, because the one, the ones that I'm on, that there was no comments about her appearance. 
Now, my son, he did. He saw her mouth guard, and he thought it was something wrong with her teeth, and I had to explain to him, no, that's a mouth guard because she doesn't want anything damaging her teeth. And it helps you against concussions, but she's not unattractive. Well, Vince won't have unattractive females wrestling. But he's got Nia Jax. She's a plus-size model. She's very plus-size. Yeah, but that doesn't mean she's not attractive. But with that, he's always had a plus-size woman wrestling in at, in the women's division. And this goes back to what? Alundra Blaze. He, she had Bertha Faye. Um, oh, my gosh. Bull Nakano. It, it was always against a big, heavy woman. But definitely stereotypes um, in wrestling now. Well, right now, um, well, some of the stereotypes, they're well, – Seamus, oddly enough, I can he, – He's stereotyped a little bit, but nobody really thinks about that. Um, but some of the other ones, I mean, you'll have to give me some examples. Uh, because I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but it's not because I don't think there are any. It's just because I'm just drawing a blank because I'm old, and I do that. It happens. It's uh, brain fog. But just going through um, for a different episode, they still exist. Oh, nice crucifix. You don't see that right often. Uh, Match-wise, um, Sasha Banks and Carmella, not not bad. No, that one wasn't bad, and I think they are going to have to start giving – what was his name? Carmella's dude, her wine guy. Her wine guy. Yeah, her wine guy. That's what he. I can't remember the actual name, but yeah, he, he's her wine guy. The match, oddly enough, the intergender match he had with Sasha Banks last week, um, believe it or not, was a good match, and he actually showed some skills because I was like, oh, you know, a lot of acrobatic type stuff, and I could see him. Maybe I, I don't want to see you being on 205 because unfortunately people go to 205 and then they just kind of disappear. But uh, Reginald, and, Reginald, yes, I don't remember his name. But talk talk about um, they kept Carmella off television for six months. They redo the vignettes to debut a character on SmackDown. And, boy, did that fizzle out for her in in no time. Yeah, because everyone's like, oh, it's Carmella. And you know what's wild? And I was actually thinking about this today. You think about how Carmella first came to the main roster. She was with Enzo and Cass because she was engaged to Cass at the time. No, she got split from Enzo and Cass. Right. Like right as soon as they all came into the main roster, they split her off. 
but she was with them before that in NXT. And they brought her all up. They split her off. Um, and then look at it now. What was that? Five years ago. And she's the only one left out of those three. Because Enzo, of course, couldn't keep his mouth shut, and then he apparently couldn't keep his hands to himself. That was the alleged, he allegedly. Um, and in fact, I think I want to say those charges were dropped. But either way, he still couldn't keep his mouth shut. And then Big Cass, um, of course, beating up the little person in the ring that one time. He went overboard on that. They told him, don't do the big boot, and he did the big boot anyway. Um, and then he got to harassing... Uh, Carmella, because you know they they had actually split up. You know they were engaged, and um, she broke it off, and he was hurt. And then when he came back, you know they put them both on either Raw or SmackDown. I don't remember. I think it was SmackDown. Uh, but then he got to where he was harassing her, and so they let him go. And she's the only one left. He he had um, mental health issues. Cast was, huh? Cast Really? And he was a pro-Trump Republican, not to mention politics anymore, but he rubbed people the wrong way. Was he outspoken about it in the locker room? Yes, he was. Maybe that's what it was, because he's not the only pro-Trump uh, Republican there in that organization, but... They don't. They also don't want it to become a political organization. Politics in the workplace do not mix, unless you're Twitter, and it, it can make you unlikable if you subscribe to to a certain party. If it's not the party that. Um, is the flavor wherever you work, if that makes any sense. So I've, I've, I'm a, I've, I've seen it on both. So I, I'm a big believer that those in the military should be independent and stay in the apolitical. Oh, um, I, I, I was the voting rep at my last unit, and believe me, I had to make sure things stayed apolitical as much as possible. Every once in a while, like during election season, uh, somebody would a- actually ask me, hey, can I vote straight party? You know, they would say whatever party it was. I was like, I, you know, we have to look. It all depends on your state. You know, so they would kind of announce what party they were. Um, but, but for the most part, people just kind of – well, they were told – you know, to keep the political discussions, um, preferably none. But during election season, it's hard not to talk about politics. You know, but not throwing your opinion. Right. So, just like uh, this, there are there's a lot of different things. Um, it's snowing here where I live. The we're shoveling know three times a day we've got 10 inches so far and it's supposed to continue throughout the night and then i get to go to work the next tomorrow morning but we do our driveway 
and I go next door to, there's a single mother next door to me and I do her driveway. And then two driveways down, there's a older lady who, um, we do her driveway as well. I couldn't tell you what political party they are. And we, we just got to get back to being good human beings. Oh, I agree. Uh, I mean, I granted, I can tell you, I, I can actually tell you every political party on my street, but the only reason I know this is because a few years ago when I ran for uh, the township trustee position, I had a roster of every single voter in the county. And so we could actually see every single person on our street and what party they were registered as. But that's a little bit different case, though, because not everybody put out signs during the election this past year. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot still up here. Oh, but, we still have we still have some signs here, but not like the way it was uh, before November. But so okay. Uh, anyway. We never got a tag team match. What last night? So we we did not get either tag team champion. Not for the men. Line. Not for the men. No. So it very very weird. We we didn't get the U.S. title match that just happened on Raw. But you did get Goldberg putting over current talents. I was very surprised at – well, okay, I'm not going to say very surprised. I was a little surprised at that, considering every time they brought Goldberg back, they brought him in to squash, win a belt, and then give it to somebody else. Right. And like I told you before the before we actually started the, the podcast, if Goldberg would have won, I would have had a riot right there in my living room, just me flipping couches. But maybe the purpose of bringing Goldberg in was to just put over Drew McIntyre, but I don't think they needed Goldberg to do that. Well, it it goes back to what do they got? Drew had already beat The Miz, had already beat Morrison, and that's the money in the bank holder. Sheamus just turned 20 minutes ago. So that was too late. Braun Strowman is injured. Uh, he came back last night. Yeah. But it, it, they booked themselves in the corners. What do you got? It's like you can't have a tag team title match for the men on either side because you have very few tag teams and you don't feature them. You don't feature that type of wrestling. Well, let me think. Who can? Well, we talked about this too. Uh, Bray Wyatt, he's recovering from his burns. Um, here comes Bad Bunny. Yeah, you didn't see the rap he did with Booker T. Um, so the Miz destroyed his DJ equipment. And so Bad Bunny came out there last night and he, he had to jump, jump to the ring, climb to the top rope, and did a horrible looking 
body press off the top rope onto the Miz and Morrison, who had just been eliminated by Ziggler, I believe. I think Dolph Ziggler. Uh, somebody close line. Go ahead. You're saying his flash is worse than his haircut. Yes. And believe me, that haircut, when my wife, she saw him last night. She's like, what is up with his hair? And I said, I don't know. He's apparently like the number one. Um, what they they said last night, he's like like number one in the Latin charts right now. And uh, I was like, if he's number one in the charts, he can have his hair however he wants. But we can mention tag team wrestling in the Royal Rumble context because what main event is the main event on February 5th, 1988? You would think it would be Hogan and Andre. But no, it was, uh, oh, my God. It was Strike Force, which was Tito and, Tito and Rick Martel. Yep. As and the Heart Foundation. Yep, because when I watched this the other day, that match, they barely even showed it. They were having the credits rolling as that match was on. It was like an afterthought. They didn't even show the entire match either. They they like they started like halfway into the match, and to me it was it was kind of a travesty. Uh, the first match that they, they only had three matches on this thing, which you know which actually kind of makes sense. So it kind of shows that the WWE's uh, have oh there you go right there ah uh, they didn't show it it was it, it was he almost fell off the top rope when he was doing that. That's how bad it was. But the WWE's habit even now of showing, okay, we we have three hours, we have a lot of wrestlers, okay, let's have, you know, six matches on the show. Well, apparently that's not a new habit because the main event was an hour long. They only had three matches. First but, one being Randy Savage uh, against Honky Tonk Man for the Intercontinental title. Which a rematch from the previous Saturday night's main event where um, the mega, mega powers began to form. Right. And so well, this one, was, I, I had kind of blinked it out of my mind that Honky Tonk was trying to hit on Elizabeth. And he kept doing his shake and ride and roll, looking at Elizabeth, and I'm like, man, you got no game whatsoever. I don't but, care if it uh, is a show. Peggy Sue. Yep. Sherry Martell in a wig. Sherry Martell. Was that her first appearance? Was that particular one? Yeah, she was Peggy Sue, and then she became women's champ, and... She would go back under the the wig to become Peggy Sue every once in a while. And nobody even knew that was her. I didn't know it until, you know, in the past couple years when it started getting mentioned on Bruce Pritchard's podcast. I had no no clue. And kind of odd to think about it. Um, At that time, in comparison with Miss Elizabeth, Peggy Sue, Sherry Martell, she was not very striking in hindsight. 
she she was an attractive woman fit both roles that she she played. Is Sherry Martell in the Hall of Fame? Yes. Okay, good, because she needs to be. Because when it came to not just a woman wrestler, I mean, she did just about every kind of role you can think of when it pertain, pertaining to um, wrestling, as far as like the on-screen roles, because she was a wrestler, and she was a very good wrestler. She was a manager. She was more or less kind of a valet. Uh, she was not afraid to get in there and mix it up because she was a wrestler. And she had a very good head. You could tell uh, just the way she did things. She had a very good head for the business. I didn't like what WCW did with her later on, the whole thing with her and Colonel Robert Parker when they were supposed to be kind of a couple. I didn't really care for that one. But either way, I mean, she was doing business. I mean, she was doing what she was instructed to do. And then she became Sister Sherry when she was with Harlem Heat. I don't know if you um, listened to the Eric Bischoff podcast today talking about Harlem Heat. I have not listened to it. Uh, that one's next in my QE. Okay. Yeah, it's actually it's pretty good. Um, out of the five Conrad Thompson uh, podcasts, um, it's not that I don't like it, but if I ever have to like skip one, it would probably be Eric Bischoff's. See, I, I like him. I, I'll listen to Arn. Bruce Pritchard has been hit or miss lately. Well, I mean, literally, because uh, apparently dude's schedule is ridiculous. And then um, others, but I don't pay for that, for Gerald Briscoe and all the others. Well, yeah, I don't I do not do any of the pay podcasts. Uh, the only podcast I pay for, honestly, is this one, because I have to pay to uh, use Block Talk. But with uh, Conrad's, I would say Arn Anderson's probably my favorite. Uh, next is kind of a toss-up between Tony and JR, uh, really depending That's on the subject matter for that week. Tony, Tony's been doing a lot of watch-alongs. Yes, that, I've been. I have been digging that because that was during my time when I was really into wrestling. But um, cast wise, it's just a, a lot of different stuff, and the honky tonk man. That that those stories. Randy Savage was always meant to be the next. Heavyweight champion, and you know what's wild? When I was in there watching that match and just looking at at Sherry Martell under that wig, just think three years later, she was with Macho Man. I can't remember when she joined Macho Man. That's what I was I was trying to think because and five was it okay? So, oh my God, really? Was it that yeah. they were together that long? So, um, so just over a year later, a year later when Savage went heel. Um, matter of fact, almost a year to the day where he turned on Hogan at Saturday night's main event to lead up to WrestleMania five. 
Okay, I'm reading about WrestleMania 5. Elizabeth is at a neutral corner. Um, da, da, da. Because uh, she and Macho attack Hogan in the um, credits on the Coliseum video for WrestleMania 5. Oh, really? Hold on. What did it say? Two hours delayed arrival. I uh, see. Um, we were about ten minutes into the podcast, and all of a sudden, I heard beep, beep by somebody. You know, I mean, I had a phone call, call waiting, and it was the school, the one call. Uh, so actually, my wife walked in. I showed her that I had a voicemail, and they called her as well. So they either have a two-hour delay, or they've already just canceled it because tomorrow is supposed to be cold. It's supposed to be a high of a high of like twenty six tomorrow. I find this topic very uh, intriguing because we have discussed Ted DiBiase, how he should have been an interim champion or held the title till WrestleMania to lose it to Macho or to lose it to Hogan. Well, if you think about it, he kind of did lose it to Macho. Well, he lost the main event of the tournament. Right. But he never held, he never officially held the title. And I had to go back and look. And you, you were talking about somebody coming in into the, uh, the company and having an impact almost immediately. And, yeah, Teddy Biasso, I mean, he wasn't a rookie by any means. In fact, it was his second time in the WWF. Uh, he was there when he was just starting his career back in 1979. But here it was uh, nine years later, or eight, well, he started in 1987. He came, in, he came to the WWF after WrestleMania three, And, you know, the, and – uh, the story goes he originally started as a face on some house shows, but he turned heel against Ron Bass, which to me that's also funny because it's hard for me to think of Ron Bass as a face. But he turned heel, and he had the Million Dollar Man gimmick, and they were showing the vignettes, and he's going into public pools, and he's kicking all the kids out. He's paying the lifeguards to kick all the kids out because he wanted to pull himself, and he's kicking everybody out of restaurants, and and I was telling my wife and my daughter about that because my daughter was, was actually – she was uh, home this past weekend. And I found the clip. In fact, it was on the network. I found the clip of the little boy with the basketball. <laughs> because that was one – I watched that one when it happened, when they first broadcast it. And On Wrestling Challenge. Yep. Yes. <laughs> and – I had told him about that, but yeah, I've watched this, and he kicked that ball, and that little, I mean, he was face, he was like, uh. but of course, you know, you find out later on that, yes, the producers did give his family, you know, the money. Um, oh, of course. And, uh, <laughs> and my daughter, they were looking at both going, oh my God, that's horrible. I'm like, he was the most hated man in wrestling at the time because of things like that. That was to get him more and more over as just the the bad guy, and it worked. It and it really 
kids. And <laughs> it, it's the difference of what they do today. Weeks. They built up anticipation this guy was arriving. And they, they haven't done that really since, what, Alberto Del Rio? Uh, you know, I wasn't watching it whenever um, Del Rio first came in, but that was one that, you know, unfortunately I was uh, stationed overseas when he came in, and so but I was take, not able to watch it as much as what I would have liked to have. Take a couple NXT wrestlers that were in the Rumble last night. Um, first one on the screen right now is Damian Priest. He, yeah, he actually dominated pretty good last night in the Rumble. He actually had, a, I want to say, at least three, maybe four eliminations. If you didn't watch NXT, do you even know who this guy is? Probably not, and I've been missing a lot of NXT lately anyway, so I really didn't know who he was to begin with. Uh, even but, though I'm still, wait, I'm still waiting for, for Chapo to come in to the main roster. but He, he just did this arrow thing. Yeah. Like, what is that? Top and arrow. And same. What do you do? I like because I I do watch NXT. Um, she'll be on the main roster soon. And no vignettes, nothing. There's just no character development anymore. Not the way there should be because well. NXT, yeah, they have the, the character development there. Because back when I was watching NXT a lot more than what I am now, uh, because unfortunately, I mean, watching live on Wednesday nights, I honestly, I prefer AEW. Because NXT, to me, is still the training grounds. And so, theoretically, your better product is still going to be on AEW. However, on NXT, some of them, I feel, should be on the main roster already. That's what I was saying about Ciampo. I think Ciampa. he should have been a... Huh? It's Ciampa. Ciampa, yeah. I can't pronounce it. Um, I think he should have been on the main roster already. But he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't he must, want to go to Okay, I can, I can get that. I mean, and I can actually respect that he does not want to go to the main roster. Um, so he's basically, he's almost like the top of the bottom. Right. And or he's like the top of the minor leagues in a way. You know, he's the top it's, of the training. NXT has been the better show of the three shows. Because they're all out trying to prove themselves. Because their book's better. And it used to be before COVID NXT, that well, every week they were performing in the same place. They were all right there in the performance center. And yes, they did travel occasionally. They would do the um, uh, what before the the major pay per views. They had the NXT takeovers. Thank you. They had the NXT takeovers because that was the first time I saw uh, Shinsuke and Bobby Roode. And it was the one, I believe they were in San Antonio. They were somewhere in Texas. And 
when they showed their entrances, because uh, Bobby Roode, I mean, his entrance, you know, the glorious, you know, um, his, the way he came in, and then Shinsuke came in on, I think he was like on a surfboard or something like that. I'm like, wow, they need to be bringing these two up, up to the main roster. And of course, I want to say Bobby Roode was up like almost immediately, but Shinsuke didn't because he got hurt that match, and you could see it when it happened. But they they take these characters that are pre-made from NXT and they rebook them on the main roster. Say Matt Riddle, bro. Uh, again, over the original bro had his fans, and now what? I think this he still what? has his fans, um, but I don't know. I mean, in NXT, it almost seems like they have it, – it, it's almost like an ECW-type cult following in a way. It's It's booked better. The stars are more developed. There's there's development. There's interviews. Da 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 da. And one thing about NXT is it doesn't start with a twenty minute promo. Oh. oh. Yeah. Even SmackDown starts with a twenty minute promo, and they only have two hours instead of three. It's. Who's booking NXT? I don't know. Could you imagine? Go ask your unnamed spouse if you could partake in marital relations with a twenty-minute promo. I would get. (laughs) Oh, here's an interesting match: Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. I have to be careful about saying that name because I have one of those devices uh, here in the room. And every time I say that name, all of a sudden I see the device kind of light up like I'm about to ask it a question. So back to – because you're getting caught up in what's on television and not – Not our main subject. (laughs) So – But you just couldn't – and that's something they didn't do – on the main event, they went straight to Macho Man. What are you going to do tonight? And I'm going to beat the Honky Tonk Man. Entrance, entrance, match. And it was actually one of the few cases where both performers actually had their own uh, theme music at the time. Now everybody has theme music. But trying to explain that to some of the newer fans that yeah, back in the day, they just walked to the ring. You know, there were a few who had music, the Freebirds, Jimmy Valiant, uh, Hogan. Oh, by this time, 88, the Pile Driver album was in full force. Everyone <sighs> who was a, a name in WWF had the music. Trivia question there for you, Kyle. Who sang the song Pile Driver? Uh, Coco Beware. <laughs> yep, because that became his theme song. 
And, you know, Junkyard Dog, he actually, um, well, he's had three theme songs because he would come in to another one bites the dust. Occasionally he would come in the ring to Atomic Dog. And then he switched to grab them cakes when they did the first wrestling album, even before Piledriver. But with this one, um, Ted DiBiase, his theme song, and, you know, even though the guy who was writing most of their songs at the time, Jim Johnson, he was a, don't get me wrong, and this is coming from a musician's viewpoint, he was a good songwriter. I just didn't like the theme songs. I thought they were just kind of cheesy. Of course, WWF at the time was cheesy. You know, but the Million Dollar Man, money, 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 money. Would you listen to that on the radio, like driving to work? There were a few. Um, Real American. Now, that's that's a good song. That that one's actually written by um, the performer, I think, is Rick DeAnger, and he was a legitimate you know, um, rock star. Then you had uh, Strike Force had Girls in Cars. That was a cool song. Nice little poppy song. A Honky Tonk Man song was not bad. Cool, cocky, and bad. Yeah, I wouldn't listen to it, though. Now, I would not drive to work listening to uh, Jive So Girl. No. But... Pile driver. Um, Here's one I think you're forgetting about because it was actually kind of a tongue-in-cheek song, but the song is catchy. All American Boys with the Rougeaus or the Quebecers or what you want to call them. I listened to that song today. Did you? <laughs> I, I think for he, a heel tag team, that is one of the best songs ever. I thought for a heel tag team, they could have switched back to being faces really easily just because their move set was one of a face team. Because they could do a lot of because you always thought about when, when you, the acrobatic stuff, you always thought of, well, faces do that. But, um, but they were doing the same kind of stuff. And but one of the things they would do, they were the first team I saw do this. And I've only seen like one or two teams do this since. One, uh, whoever's in the ring would put their opponent in an abdominal stretch. And then he would reach around, you know, behind him, and his partner would pull his arm or grab his hand and pull it to give more pressure on the abdominal stretch. But if the referee turned around and saw it, they would just act like, oh, it was just a tag. And I was It was what? More twerk. Yeah, it, but to, to um, the main event, um, this is historically where Honky, Honky said Dick Eversole was only worried about the Macho Man and making sure the Macho Man looked good. And he refused to drop the Intercontinental title, according to Urban Legend. Uh, there's a whole lot of people that have been saying that Urban Legend. But and he he was a friend of Hogan. I personally would like to see anybody please get the Intercontinental title and hold it 
for a year and a half just to beat Honky Tonk Man's record. Uh, because I I was never really sold on Honky Tonk Man. Well, that that's another good question. Who's the current Intercontinental Champion? Uh, you would have to ask that. Big E. Yeah, Big E's the Intercontinental Champion. So it's it's tough. He he won the title what Christmas? The Around Christmas then, yeah, he he beat Sami Zayn, yeah. And he's defended it what once? Uh once or twice, yeah. But that that's the difference. Like this this show opened up with an intercontinental title match. And, and granted, there were dark matches that we don't have to talk about. That wasn't God, there, was shown. A, there was a ton of dark matches. But opens up, and that shows you, at, as a heel, we all wanted to watch Honky Tonk Man lose. We did, and I guess, like, uh, well, as long as he lost, that's the only thing I cared about. I was not that sort of, I'm like, how in the world is this guy holding the title? He's not even that good. Can't anybody, I mean, of course, I'm back then, you know, I'm not understanding kayfabe and I'm not understanding how it works. But now I'm even asking even more questions. Why can't they find somebody else, you know, to hold the title? But he, that's his job. It is his he, job, but he also he, refused to give it up. You, supposedly. You pay to um to watch him lose or you watch to watch him lose and for whoever his opponent was to beat him up. And then he cracked Randy Savage upside the head with a guitar. And these were not gimmick guitars. And I, that still makes me just uh, you know, I cry out in pain when I see them tearing up guitars like that. Even now, but uh, but amazingly enough, with him going against Savage and Savage not winning the Intercontinental Title, and this course set up Savage to win at WrestleMania and over DiBiase in the tournament because of the events that happened for uh, what was supposed to have been the main event of the main event, in my eyes. But but now that you're getting there, man. Why would they show the main event as the second match? Because of that's when the viewers were going to be watching it the most. And that's where they got the biggest rating. Yep. They actually they do study things like this. And the people aren't going to necessarily sit through a whole bunch of these other matches, especially if they're a casual fan. But Hogan and Andre obviously they're still two of the biggest names people know from wrestling because the year prior, they set the world indoor attendance record at the silver dome, even though, you know, Dave Meltzer says they didn't, but whatever. Um, and people wanted to see this rematch. Now, how it ended, you know, I don't think anybody could have ever predicted. They, they could predict. Yeah. They, they cheated. Andre, you know, pinned him. Hogan's shoulder was obviously up. They counted three anyway. You jump right to the end, man. 
Well, the match itself, to be honest with you, was kind of garbage. <laughs> Andre was Andre really couldn't do a whole lot. So you know, Andre just had back surgery, and this was uh, his second match after back surgery. Uh, I thought he had the back surgery. Did he have it before WrestleMania last the year prior or after? He had it after he wrestled it um, Survivor Series. This is his second match back. Because he was wearing the back brace at WrestleMania the year prior. That's why. He, that's when he first started wearing the uh, the over the one shoulder singlet. Hogan starts wearing the. Hogan's wearing his working boots in this match and being way more animated than he was in WrestleMania three. Well, Andre. Well, Andre did the one move I did like seeing him do where he grabbed whoever by the, you know, he was standing behind him and grabbed him by the head and he just started headbutting him in the back of the head. So this may have been the first time we saw Hogan come off the ropes in, uh, off the second rope to knock Andre down. Yeah, that was a rarity. You didn't see Hogan doing that. But the story of the match is, Hogan amped, amped to the gills like he's on speed. And may have been. On the outside, you have Ted DiBiase and Virgil. Every time Hogan got an advantage, DiBiase and Virgil would interfere and, and disrupt his concentration. And the referee, who was supposed they, to be Dave Ebner would spend uh, quite a bit of time with the offending outside party. Well, the way when and when they had that, when um, the real Dave Ebner came in the ring later on, I, I had still well, I'm, 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 I'm premature in it. Um, Andre, well, Andre managed to, to choke Hogan out using the strap from the singlet. He hit it pretty well, but then he couldn't get it back off his head. I thought that was actually kind of funny. And he's like, hey, 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 you know, like he was trying to correct him. And he, he the double arm choke. And for for a giant, in hindsight, his move set was very uh, limited, wasn't it? Yes, uh, it wasn't like when he was just starting in wrestling, where Andre was doing moves like a cruiserweight. When he was doing drop kicks and he was coming off the top rope and he was doing pile drivers on people. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Yeah, doing uh, you know, um. He was doing like tombstone pile drivers on people, but of course by this point, you know he had had the back. He had so many back issues, and uh, and for this match he was probably drunk, but that wasn't because he just liked to get drunk. I mean, well he may have liked to get drunk, but it was just to hide the pain, you know, just to kind of mask the pain from his back. And you got to think he's still picking up Hogan, and Hogan was like a legit three hundred pounds. 
and he's just body slamming like he's nothing. And you saw, if you were to watch the match again, look at Andre's face when he does body slam Hogan. When he picks him up, and you can see his face. He is kind of wincing a little bit because, you know, 300 pounds is still 300 pounds. And if you've got oh, yeah. a bad back, 300 yep. well, yeah, for you, you know, 300 pounds, I know it is like nothing. Um, it's still 300 pounds. But it is still 300 pounds. And if you had a bad back, would you want to go with 300 pounds? Uh, I try, but it, some days it comes up, other days it doesn't. Right. But that's that's the thing. The the whole match, almost completely different than the WrestleMania three match, which told the story of the slam. Right. And, and that's Hogan doesn't get a whole lot of credit for that. But match match wise, completely different than WrestleMania three. Right. And well Andre's move that I guess you want to call like a finishing move because he really didn't have a finishing move because he really didn't wrestle that much. But his move was basically like a hip toss power slam type deal. And it was almost like just a, a takedown, and he just laid on him. And then they had the fake three count, and that was it. Well, it, to tell the story, Hogan comes off the second row with the clothesline. He, and, and in the match, because this makes no sense at all if you're a normal human being. When Hogan do the late drop, after that move, he goes to the rope where Virgil is. Virgil grabs at his feet, goes over to admonish Virgil. Hogan hits the late drop, and he essentially got a six count. Right. They always got to have that. You know, the count where the referee's not there to count it. So the, the crowd's going nuts. Hogan goes to the referee, and then Andre does what you said headbutts him in the back of the head and then does the weird hip toss slam move. One, two, Hogan raises his shoulder up. The referee still counts three and you got a new champion. You know, I'm going to have to watch again. I think he may have actually lifted his shoulder up even before Hebner um, counted two. It was very evident that his shoulder was up early. Yes. And for dramatic effect. Um, that's the point there. And Hogan, this is where crybaby Hogan comes in. Hogan starts throwing a fit. And, and rightfully so. But before he goes nuts, Andre, in no form of sensical English, basically sells the title to Ted DiBiase. Well, well, during the, the I guess you want to call it the aftermatch interview right there in the ring before he, well, as he was getting ready to hand it to DiBiase, he said, I told you, Hogan, I'd be the, the World Tag Team Championship. Yeah. Yeah, and he said it twice. I couldn't understand a word he said. Well, Andre apparently spoke 
quite a few languages. Obviously, French and English, but I understand he also spoke Spanish, some Italian, uh, basically all the European languages in that area. You know, probably some German. But I'm about to look that up now. How many how many languages could Andre speak? But when you know, of course, he gave the title to DiBiase. DiBiase campaign. Oh, DiBiase said he was gonna he was gonna get the title one way or the other, and he bought the title. And then, of course, when um, Dave Hepner, the real Dave Hepner, came in, and at the time, I didn't realize there was uh, Dave and Earl Hepner. It never even occurred to me because, you know, the only referee I think I could have named from back then is Tommy Young. Tommy Young, right? Yeah, because, I mean, I watched a lot of Mid-Atlantic, and Tommy Young was the main referee in the Mid-Atlantic area. And the Hebners actually, um, they would referee there as well. But I was like, oh, that's that's not Tommy Young. So I didn't even, didn't even occur to me that there was two Hebners and they were twins. And uh, and so when they brought them, I was like, huh, I like that. And they they said he paid off the referee. He paid him to have plastic surgery to look like Dave. Right. Jesse Ventura is fantastic here. And I wonder if he came up with that line himself or somebody fed it to him, but that was one of the best ones. He had surgery. What? <laughs> is that that uh, Jesse Ventura really sells it. Yeah. But, you know, even before the main event, at the previous Survivor Series, which was, what, a week or two uh, prior to this. In fact, it was the very – well, not Survivor Series, Royal Rumble. It was the very first Royal Rumble. And they had the match signing for this match. And it's not like now where there's like a match signing before every pay-per-view and they're having a, a pay-per-view every month. So the match signings kind of get old after a while. The match signings were – they were a big deal back then. And rare. Right. And that's what made the match signings great, you know, or something to watch. Because right now they have, you know, example, Charlotte Flair is walking down the ramp. She's about to get in the ring. Right now she's in a thing with Lacey Evans. And they're probably going to go against each other at the next pay-per-view, whatever that pay-per-view is. I don't even know which one it is. And they might have a match signing for them, too, because the whole thing about, you know, her dad and Lacey Evans and I hate this storyline. It's just stupid. And um, But they may have a, a match signing because they seem to do it all the time. And you know that, that one of them is going to grab the other one's head and slam it across the table. There's and always so, a fight. Right. And so it gets old. You know, I like watching de- watching demolition derbies every once in a while. Every once in a while, I can't watch it. Watch one of those all the time. You know, but match wise, um, very different. Ten minutes, which was way longer than I thought. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, I wasn't a fan of the match itself. 
I did, you know, obviously in hindsight, and that's what we do, you know, um, we're looking at this with um, present day vision, present day lenses. How do you say it? Present day glasses, goggles, or whatever. Right. And I can say, you know, that was a pretty good story the way they did that. And if you've noticed, they've never done it like that since. Um, not that no. I'm aware of. No, not that I know of either. Which means maybe it was one of the things they realized, all right, we can only do this once. Now, granted, this is back in 1988 before Vince decided, hey, they like that thing. Let's just do it over and over and over again. Brother. Yeah, brother. Yeah, you know, they like Hell in a Cell. Let's have a whole pay-per-view based on Hell in a Cell. Oh, they like tables, ladders, and chairs. Let's have a whole pay-per-view based on that. And it takes away the uniqueness, and it takes away the special from it. And that's another reason, I think, why their ratings and their viewership and everything, their revenue uh, has gone down. And I know, granted, they supposedly just had one of their best quarters ever. Well, when you lay off, when you let go so much of your staff just to free up payroll, yeah, you'll have a good quarter. But I don't want to get talking. We're not, we're not a we're not a business podcast. We can talk. We can talk a little bit about the business side of wrestling, but I don't want to get too far in the weeds because next thing you know, everybody's going to start blaming us for people buying GameStop. Um, those guys were genius, but I will tell you, I am. I sold all my Robin Hood stock, and I will never use that product again. I still have it. I'm not planning on getting rid of it anytime soon, um, but that's just me. Um, I was not about to jump on the GameStop bandwagon, though, because as soon as I saw that, pro- I wish I would have bought some back in October. But, you know, when it was $17 a share, and then I would have cashed out right about the $400 mark. Um, but they they definitely restricted the little guy. They did which we are, I'm sure other platforms would have too, but Robin Wood, Robin Hood, in this case, um, I, I really did. I sold off all my stocks. Uh, so did TD, TD Ameritrade, if you want to understand. They also did the same thing. And I will be deleting the app as soon as I can transfer the money into my bank account. I have my own reasons for keeping it for now anyway, because I thought about doing that too. But it's just the way I have some stuff set up right now. You know, oh, no. Like, I definitely understand, but it's the same thing we talk about. I got rid of my network subscription, and they make you fill out a long questionnaire before they let you cancel. And they ask why. And the answer is, well, the current product sucks. It's the same thing over and over. The characters, like Asuka, her ring entrance is very developed, and you can see it right now. If Lacey Elvins does not come out, Charlotte Flitter is going to turn on her right now. They said they're having a triple threat match. Um, So... 
I'm still not a fan of the triple threat matches, but well, I wish they would do them elimination style. But once again, they also do them so often. It, you know, they're also take they're still taking away the uniqueness of that. Oh, Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke. And oh, you know, one thing, kind of somewhat off subject, but it's a present day thing. I didn't even mention that I finally saw myself on the Thunderdome. I I know very proud to have been on um, from the Facebook comments. You're almost a local celebrity. Apparently so. <laughs> I didn't even realize how many people knew what that was. Even though one guy had, you know, uh, uh, the one guy Walt, he's not a wrestling fan, obviously. So I did have to explain to him what it was, and he said, "Oh, kind of like the Matrix." I'm like, oh yeah. Um, I also posted it on the. Uh, Twitter page for the um, for the podcast, not my personal Twitter page. Um, of course, right now I can't even follow anybody back on my personal Twitter, but that's another story. I don't even want to get into that because then we're anyway uh, are on a seventy-two hour lockdown. Dude, I have not been able to follow anybody for at least five days now. Uh, you you're on triple secret probation. Apparently so. And they don't give any reason why. It's just all of a sudden I can't follow them. And they say, "Well, you reached your limit." Have I reached my limit? I, there's no. I have not. Obviously, not hit a daily limit because I haven't been able to follow anybody. And you know, but I'm not going to get into that because then we'll start going down the political rabbit hole when I'm trying to avoid the political rabbit hole because our podcast is not about politics. We avoid it. Well, apparently you didn't avoid it enough on Twitter, or you'd be able to post right now. Well, that's my, that's my personal Twitter, though. Um, but the sad thing is I actually really don't even post that much on my personal Twitter. I just think it's what I'm involved with, uh, you know, some of the groups that I'm in on Twitter. But but I keep, that, I keep that totally separate from the podcast Twitter because uh, there are some, I guess, accounts – that I have followed and that have actually followed the podcast Twitter that my personal Twitter, I would not follow, but because, or yeah, but because it's the podcast Twitter, now that's a little different. And I've actually been able, I've, I've picked up uh, quite a few followers um, over the past week on the podcast Twitter. I'll have to show it to you. I'll have, I mean, I know you don't do Twitter, but, uh, but that seems to be kind of, Kind of growing the listener base some, but uh, back during the main event time, they didn't have Twitter and social media, and that's why this particular thing being on primetime and still the highest, the highest wrestling show rating for primetime ever. Here it is, you know, thirty-three years later, and it's still the highest rated. So and it will, it'll yeah. always be the highest rated. Yeah. And I'm going to try to find the rating for that. Oh, it drew a 15.2 rating. 15.2. They think they're doing good now if they get half that. Good. Raw is lucky to get higher than a two. Yeah, it's it's been horrible for them. And they can't figure out it's, – it's, honestly, it's the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again but expecting different results. 
And they can't they they can't expect it to you know they can't expect the viewers that they had to come back because some of the viewers they had, well, they're going to watch an AEW. Now Impact's back with a TV show. They're going to watch an Impact. I mean, granted, that's on Tuesday nights. They're watching Ring of Honor on Saturdays. They're, they may be watching um, if their local wrestling organizations have TV programs, which uh, the NWF does not. They do have some stuff they post on Facebook. They have this Sunday night busting loose every Sunday, but they actually don't have anything on local TV. But then again, it's also hard to have anything when right now they can't really have any matches. And two of their main places where they were having um, their shows, well, one of them, like their main place, I found out why that show got canceled all of a sudden uh, because they were having it in a United Auto Workers Union Hall. Well, the Union Hall was bought by someone or by an organization actually a week before the show was supposed to happen and they said absolutely not we are not having wrestling here awesome yeah and so that place was like one of their they're probably their go-to because i'd seen a couple matches up there uh with randy because randy's the one who introduced me to the nwf and it was actually through there i mean and it's a good good probably 45 minutes to an hour drive away from here. But we went, and that's where we watched it. And then here locally, and they've only been doing them here for about a year here in Mount Orb. And, uh, but they always have a good turnout, but they were supposed to have a show a few weeks ago, and it got kanks at the last moment uh, because, well, they said it was because the Brown County Health Department you know they wouldn't. They had to sign off on it. When I called the place to find out, hey, you know this is this is a uh, like a day or two prior to when the event was supposed to take place. I called them to find out what the status was because I actually emailed NWF. I didn't get any replies back, and the place actually told me, oh well, you know, um, they're still having all those soccer tournaments there because it's an indoor. Arena, they actually have a, a soccer field. And they said, oh, they have all these tournaments. These tournaments are still going on. I said, really? I, I thought it was because of the health department. And then she said, oh, yeah, yeah, that too. And uh, so either way, I mean, I, I feel bad for the, for the NWF because two of their places were just yanked out from underneath them, you know, one right after the other. Now, one of them um, – the one here in Mount Orb, thankfully, I mean, they will be able to put on a show there again. But the other place, and it sounds like, no, that one's done forever. And that that was sprung on them last minute. So um, I'll, I'm going to have to look and see where their next scheduled events are because I need to go out there and see them and actually talk to some of them. Um, just about the possibility of interviewing some of their folks, you know, here on our podcast. Steve, uh, unfortunately, wrestling is just like we talked about. Wrestling is not as popular today as it was in 88 when the main event was going on. And there's 
I don't want to say there's no hope. There's some interesting characters out there. But you can't tell me the WWE products is going to get any better now that they're going to be on the Peacock Network. No. Uh, Now, what might happen is kind of like what happened when SmackDown went to Fox Sports. All of a sudden, it's, hey, you're going to be on our network, then you better put on a better product. Well, same thing with being on USAA. A USA, they can't be taking that for advantage. Well, I wonder how long their contract is for being on the USA network. But that's that's the whole thing. It was so popular, they did these shows on NBC in between the four major pay-per-views. So they went from one at WrestleMania. Then they go to WrestleMania Survivor Series. Then you get um, the Royal Rumble, which came... No, no, no. SummerSlam came. No, SummerSlam was the last one. SummerSlam was the last one. It was, um, but the, now the first Royal Rumble was a USA a, Network, right? So SummerSlam became a pay per view before Royal Rumble did. Oh, so you're talking about an actual pay per view, not just the um, the event itself. But if you think about it as wrestling fans, we've been conditioned in a way to wrestling main wrestling cards every month for as long as we've been alive. The main event in between pay-per-views every six weeks. And then the difference is on the main event, they would set up for the pay-per-view. So this main event set up for WrestleMania 4. Here's the ironic thing. To me, it's ironic. While the main event set at the still record to this day of the highest rated wrestling uh, TV program ever, WrestleMania 4, their buy rate for WrestleMania 4 dropped um, quite a bit from the year prior, which of course was WrestleMania three. And, you know, we know, um, we know what was going on there with Hogan and Andre. Um, but let me, let me find these ratings. Well, think, think about it. WrestleMania four didn't have a main event written in stone. Right. It had the winner of this tournament. And granted, it was for the title. But tell me if the buy rate is different if you have some combination of Ted DiBiase, Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan, and the Macho Man. Now, say it again. Tell me the buy rate is going to be different. If if we rebooked WrestleMania 4. Okay into an actual WrestleMania card instead of a buy rate is different. 
I think what they could have done, in fact, is what they do now. Anytime they have any kind of tournament uh, format, well, for one, because Vince McMahon hates tournaments, and actually a lot of the wrestlers because also don't like tournaments because of WrestleMania Four. Because it was God, how many matches were on this card? There were sixteen matches at WrestleMania Four. And the longest of which was 15 minutes. Jake Roberts, Rick Rude, first round tournament, you know, match ended in a draw. And that's how Ted DiBiase ended up going like straight to um, the, or he won his quarterfinal match. Then obviously, I'd have to look at the brackets again, but somebody ended up skipping over the winner of um, Jake Roberts and Rick Rude. Actually, it may have been one man gang and went straight to the semifinals. It was, yeah, it was Savage against One Man Gang in the semifinals. And One Man Gang didn't have a quarterfinal match because there was no quarterfinal match for him. But, yes, um, so it is, really it could have been 17 matches. But they, the way they do it now, even like with the King of the Ring, which Baron Corbin, or King Corbin now, he won the last one as far as I could tell, and Charlotte walked out. Um King Corbin, when he won it, it wasn't all in one night. It was over, spread out over, what, uh, several weeks? I don't know. But I think if they would have done something like that, they said, okay, you know, we're going to start the brackets, like, right now, like the week following the main event. And if they had, you know, 16 instead of 14, because 14 is such a goofy number to have in a tournament. And they could have um, done it like that. And then that could have been the main event at WrestleMania 4. They could have, could have eliminated seeing, you know, 16 matches. They could have cut it down to maybe 10. It, booking WrestleMania 4 would be a good challenge. My thing here with the main event, after the d- double Hebner shenanigans, both were referees for the next 10 years in WWF. Yeah, yeah we definitely know Earl was. So they, they both refereed matches in uh, WWF after this. Remember uh, Danny Davis when that happened prior to this? with the Hart Foundation and the British Bulldogs, they've removed his wrestling, refereeing license, and he had to become a wrestler. Yes, he was a wrestler who wore black and white striped leggings like he was still a referee. And then they eventually turned him back into a referee, and they didn't really make a whole lot of fanfare about it. It was just, hey, dude, I need you to be a referee again because you as a wrestler suck. Well, they didn't do that with the Hebners. Nope. And obviously there was a dirty one because Hogan pulled money out of him and launched him. My favorite part, because I watched this twice, Hogan is so strong, and whatever Hebner brother did this is so small 
that when Hogan ran across the ring and launched him into Virgil and Ted DiBiase, he almost threw him over their head at some 15 feet. Um, I'm actually reading right now why they stopped. They they actually were going to do a further angle into this. Um, they, they were going to investigate the evil twin, and they had a, a backstory to build sympathy for David Clayman. He was continually victimized by Earl's misdeeds committed in Dave's name since their childhoods. But in a 2001 interview with WWF Raw magazine, Dave Hebner said the angle was soon dropped after he had suffered broken ribs when Earl kicked him as part of the aftermath of the Hogan-Andre match during the main event. So remember when they kind of got they got into a fight with each other? Yeah. Earl kicked him and broke his ribs. That's why they they stopped it. He kicked him really good, too. Uh, obviously, he broke some ribs. Of course, granted, I cracked some ribs sneezing, so true story. Didn't but, they do that, too. I went to the hospital. They said it's such more common than what you think, but anyway. I broke my dad's ribs, cracking his back. Let me guess, the whole, uh, you were behind him, he had his arms kind of crossed, and you reached behind him and then picked him up kind of deal? No, he needed a chiropractor, and I was strong enough to pop his back in most days. But as I got stronger, I got too strong for what he asked me to do, and I pushed down like I normally did to pop his back, and I broke one of his ribs. Ow. And then he broke the second one sleeping that night. So I may have broke two of them. Hmm. But either way, yeah, that was the explanation why they, they didn't continue uh, that angle. And then, of course, later on now, I mean, they're pretty much blackballed from the WWE. They're selling counterfeit merchandise of all things. That's yeah. That's the story. Um, I've Earl Hebner's actually talked about it a little bit, and uh, you know I don't know what to believe on that one, so I'm just going to leave it as speculation. Um, but yeah, they're they're blackballed, but you never know. Vince let has he's let people come back in the past. Um, but anyway, you know. So why did Hogan? Do you remember? Why Hogan was taking some time off from the WWF at this time? For No Holds Barred. For what? This is where he filmed No Holds Barred. It was, because I'm just not thinking when I saw No Holds Barred in the theater. And I saw it in the theater in 1989. So, yeah, he, uh, he went and filmed No Holds Barred, Macho Man carried the company not not a bad choice no I mean it made sense because um, Macho I mean he was he looked the part he uh, his wrestling was uh, his style was good enough he was very very believable like he could not be beat feud is started in late 87 Ted DiBiase beats Hulk Hogan here. Let's say you use some Andre interference on the outside. Macho Man has a much better start as WWF champion if he beats Ted DiBiase at WrestleMania. 
in a straight up, they it's already scheduled the um, as the main event. Right. Yeah. Oh, I can. Yeah, I can go with that. Match wise, instead of Hogan Andre here, and knowing Andre's condition, and, and honestly, he should have stopped wrestling three years prior to when he did. Um, I wonder if that would have changed his lifespan, but you have Andre on the outside, Ted DiBiase on the inside. You could even use the dirty referee trick here. Yeah. And Ted DiBiase beat Tozen. I don't think they would have gotten that monster rating, though, the Nielsen rating, if they would have had Ted DiBiase. Because even the wrestling fans, we all knew who Ted DiBiase was. Especially if you really kept up with not just WWF, but you kept up with all wrestling. You knew of his past in the Mid-South slash UWF. So you knew, I mean, he was legit. So wrestling fans would tune into it. The casual fan would not necessarily. And that's well, a lot this was, was the casual fans who, ooh, Hogan and Andre on prime time. Oh, I got to go watch this. True. But you see how booking for television ratings is working for them now. Why does, Jeff, why does Jeff Hardy look like a stick of chewing gum? Anyway. I don't know. I'm not watching anymore. Okay. So, um, but, but better match. And it's sad in hindsight. Andre was WWR champion one time. For a minute. Literally a minute. For less than a minute. And it's it's honestly a footnote and not something that's celebrated. But if Andre would have held the title longer instead of giving it to DiBiase, how would you have Andre lose it? Um, well, the next person was the Macho Man from what they said, if Andre's a heel, the next face in line is what, Macho Man? Uh, Yeah. If he's a face, you can use Virgil and Ted DiBiase to take him out. Well, Andre, at this point, he had been a heel for a little over a year, and he would remain a heel for another two years before he turned face again at WrestleMania six. But so I, he's, he's a he's a tough one because he never really lost. Other than Hogan, he never really lost cleanly. Well, he lost to Warrior also later on, but um, I don't think. Well, we would say yes, give it to Savage from Andre, but in reality, Andre wouldn't have gone for it because he hated Randy Savage. Right. So it would it would have had to have been Diviasi to Savage. Yep. And one of the things that I think 
hurt Savage. Actually, uh, Savage won three titles. He had three title reigns in WWF, one Intercontinental and two world titles. All three times that he won the title, he did it by uh, cheating. Because he won the Intercontinental title when he hit Tito Santana with what looked like a a small, um, like a three-pound dumbbell. You know, like the little plastic jobs that you see. um, Well, you know what I'm talking about, the little ones. Yeah. Yeah, it looked like it. He pulled it out of his trunks and hit Tito. Tito picked him up for an atomic drop. Randy hit him. As the referee was counting, he literally rolled it out of the ring. I mean, the thing rolled out and... But that's how he beat Tito to win the Intercontinental title. And then when he beat DiBiase in the tournament final, because Hogan came in the ring and cracked DiBiase in the back with a chair when he had uh, Randy in the, uh, well, I call it the Cobra Clutch, but the Million Dollar Dream. Right. And when he beat Flair for the world title at WrestleMania Eight, he did so by holding on to Flair's tights. And then he was supposed to be a face. And so that also was hurting Randy. And that was that, that actually kind of hurt his run a little bit because it was almost like he didn't win it legitimately. He won it, but he cheated to do it. And you know, so that that was kind of also kind of looked at. Um, and yeah, I think I mean he did a good job of carrying the company. People could get behind him but not like they could Hogan at the time. That makes sense. Of course, I think Hogan also liked it because as we're hearing more and more about his ego, it was, see, I'm the one who carries the company. Nobody else but me. Macho Man can't do it. Warrior can't do it. And so that's how... um, Hogan ended up getting the title back. Of course, I mean, they were going to give it back to him eventually anyway. Of course, there's Hogan getting the title at, at WrestleMania five from Macho Man. But, and then after that, they really don't have Hogan and Macho Man in that much of a program because the next year, of course, is Ultimate Warrior. But the way this main event was, and I, I still think it was kind of genius the way they did it because they were setting everything up for Hogan to go away for uh, roughly a year. Right. And they still should have shown more of the Strike Force and Heart Foundation match, but that's just me. They should have. And, and overall, at the end, what a good, um, what a good combination to um for tag team wrestling they really had some uh chemistry didn't they yes and not only that but i mean back then you know the tag team scene in the wwf was just off the charts and it's not like now where you have a few teams but most time it's just two singles uh guys or girls who are just kind of thrown together they don't really even have a team name you know, because even the one the one female team with a name, they split them up. Um, now they they reunited last night for you know all of like ten seconds, but um, but yeah, it, it's you know we almost sound like you know we're kind of the old folks 
talking about how music was so much better in the 70s and the 80s, when now we're saying, oh, the wrestling was so much better back then. I don't know if I'll necessarily say that, but I will say that the way this was booked was genius, and I don't see the things even coming close to this during present-day product. No. Agree, dis- agree, disagree, or agree. Um, I've honestly lost my train of thought. Um, I just went completely blank here. Oh my gosh, this shouldn't happen to me. Say that. Well, say it again. <laughs> I said the way that they booked this was absolute genius. The wrestling, it seemed like it was better back then, but I think part of the cause of something like this was genius, and they're not booking things like this during the present day, not for the present day product. Everything is hot-shotted now, and this right here was a slow boil that you were looking forward to seeing. The stuff now, it's the same thing over and over again. You know, Even the pay-per-views have become somewhat formulaic. Uh, the last man standing match last night, that one was actually pretty decent. But they have a lot of those, almost like too many of those kind of matches as well. There are too many gimmick matches. Back then, I mean, they didn't really have gimmick matches. Back then, they had real tag teams. Now they had, just have two people thrown together. And, you know, and we both, we, we say this so much, I'm pretty sure our listeners will say, yeah, you guys sound like a broken record. But we both feel it's true that the current product suffers because they become too formulaic. It is very uh, paint by numbers formulaic right now, whereas back then it it seemed to be more dynamic and surprising. Maybe the booking philosophy is different. I, I I really do think it's the lack of desire to put over one superstar. Yeah, because right now, I can't really – well, right now they only have one who's kind of dominating one of the shows, and it's Roman Reigns. He's, of course, dominating SmackDown which is not necessarily a bad thing. And he's just this heel that, yeah, you want to watch it because you want to see him get beat. And I thought Kevin Owens, I thought they were going to have him go over last night, which they didn't. But it was really, really close. And the match actually was, it was pretty brutal at times. And Kevin Owens, he's, he's kind of shown a little bit of the Mick Foley influence in him. Um. But, so um, among the things that are already being rumored for WrestleMania, uh, Goldberg obviously has a match already penciled in. Did you hear his rumored opponent? Goldberg? Goldberg. I have not. Matt Riddle. Oh. Ooh. And that's why Riddle has been bad-mouthing him on social media. Well, he was bad-mouthing on social media before, like as a shoot bad-mouthing him. 
and I'm sure you've seen the video footage where Goldberg confronted him, and okay. and it was it was not a word. I mean, it was a flat out shoot. Goldberg was wanting to beat the tar out of him right there in the uh, the hallway. So it it'll be interesting if the whole thing in, in this match or WrestleMania three to be more specific. Andre puts over Hogan. Hogan is cemented as the new star, or the current star, whatever you want to call it. Well, he's, dub- he's doubly cemented because he was already the star, but this just really solidified that. Macho Man didn't get that, though. No, he didn't. He didn't beat Hogan, so he was never established as the next star. Which is why... And maybe he was always meant to be temporary. Hogan puts over Warrior, but does it in a way to not make him look like the the next star. And some, probably most of that was Warrior. Well, Warrior, you know, Hogan's matches back then were very formulaic one-dimensional warriors were like warrior like had he basically had half the moves that hogan did and he would blow himself up running to the ring from the dressing room right so almost in a sense he was kind of like uh he was like goldberg before goldberg because right. Goldberg Goldberg was not known for his long matches. Um, so, with that, in order to create a star, a a current star needs to put you over. It's like taking Goldberg and feeding him to Drew McIntyre, but Goldberg's not the current champ. He's just a challenger. He's a challenger, and a lot of people are looking at it like, okay, you only wrestle once every year and a half at best. Yes, you're still Goldberg, but the name, uh, the gravity of the name just isn't the way it used to be. So you have that, and current star... It's the one thing of all the things Hogan did when the crowd in Toronto was cheering for him at WrestleMania 18, he didn't change the ending of the match. Right, he still put the rock over. He still put the rock over. The rock puts over Brock Lesnar. Lesnar puts over Drew McIntyre years later, but yeah, he he did put someone over on the way out. As much as you can say about Brock Lesnar, oh, he did he put did him over, put, and and he would do business when uh, it was needed. Yeah, I don't I don't put the fact that him holding the belt, um, and being almost like a part time champion. I'm not necessarily putting that on him because at the end of the day, the ultimate decision lies with VKM. 
you know, so, but, you know, he actually put um, McIntyre over, and you hear him talk about some of the other wrestlers. You know, he 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 did get a little bit more respect for me when he was actually picking opponents based on them. He thought they would have good matches together. And that included, like, AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan and actually R-Truth as well. You know, because he said wrestling the smart guy, he said they put on better matches than him against a big guy. Right. So I definitely get that. So which means he had more respect for the business his second run than what he did his first run. But um but as far as like putting putting people over, um Hogan put the rock over because Hogan had just returned to the WWE. And he was NWO. Yeah, that failed thing. The WWE NWO just sucked. But just a few years later, he didn't want to put Shawn Michaels over. Right. And so Shawn made a spectacle of himself at SummerSlam in 2005. But... Overall, main event uh, of the main event, Saturday night's main event um, cards or presentations, is this your favorite one? Uh, Probably because of the impact it had on the sport, I'd say yeah. Um, I did see some. This was the only main event besides Saturday night's main event that I saw. I did see a few of the Saturday night's main event that all – it depended on whose house I was at that weekend, you know, as far as like custody goes, because one parent didn't mind me watching wrestling. The other one did not like wrestling at all. You know, so I actually missed a few of the Saturday night's main events because I was at somebody's house who did not like wrestling and especially did not like it on it at 11 o'clock at night. Not to say that I didn't sneak in and watch it, you know, at least once, but, um, but yeah, I didn't see all of them, but this one, I mean, even if I would have seen every single Saturday night's main event, I think this one here, like I said, just because of the impact it had later on and the fact that, you know, it popped that Nielsen rating, you know, almost 10 times as high as what they're getting now. The storyline was good. Uh, the first match even before this was good. Uh, the last match looked like it was good, but, you know, of course, we only saw like two minutes of it. But anyway. You still with me, Kyle? Yeah. Um, I, I remember this. I remember uh, Hogan and Macho Man forming the Mega Powers a little more. Because uh, I was a big fan. Eight-year-old me loved Miss Elizabeth. So the first and only wrestling poster I had was of Miss Elizabeth from this time period. So is that one probably your favorite? It It is probably my favorite. What about you? I said this one. I mean, because 
besides that one with the mega powers um, you know, forming, and then, of course, later on down the road, the mega powers exploding. And uh, I'm going to have to see if the network has that where you actually have a Hogan actually asking, hey, are they ready? Are they ready? They, they actually caught that on camera. And they had broadcast it out when it first aired because they were waiting for Randy to come in there and um, like hit Hogan upside the head with the bedpan or whatever it was. And um, But he was asking the producers, hey, is he on the way or is he ready? Is he ready? Um, it was kind of a botch. But so I think we've actually kind of covered this. Um, and I'm looking over my list. And next week, even though normally we have a top 10, we're actually going to make, have a little swerve. We're going to have a top 10 on the 15th. So next week, I believe we're talking about Daniel Bryan, his retirement, and then just kind of medical retirements in general. Also talking about like a Magnum TA, what if, what if Magnum had not gotten in his tragic car wreck? So we're going to rebook um... – Divine intervention. With yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it, interesting topics. There are a lot of wrestlers who have lost their, are prematurely ended their career. Um, their their in ring career. Now that, that's one thing I will put that caveat on there because there's at least one announcer um, that I know of who. Was they were had their entering career, but they had it cut short, and saying so they ended up becoming an announcer, and they're doing pretty good. Another one that could be mentioned um, is Brian Pillman, because his career was permanently altered by a car accident. Yep, maybe he's still alive if he doesn't do what he did to uh, return to health and. Uh, provide for his family Magnum TA is probably the most notable one for us for us yeah I think because of our uh, generation I'd say you also have others like Johnny Valentine his career ending because of the plane crash so it'll be um, it'll be a different topic I think we'll each have four or five to, to go over with some hypothetical scenarios. I think as a human being, though, Daniel Bryan, the way he's worked out, he's uh, married Nikki Bella, got two kids now. That's not no, a he, bad he, way to... Well, no, he married Bree. Oh, that's right. Oh, dang it. And the only reason I remember that is because I was thinking, huh, his, real, his name is actually Bryan Danielson. And her name is Bree. So you have Brian and Bree. And then Birdie and whatever. Right. Birdie. That's right. I forgot there. Uh, the first baby was named uh, Birdie. But beyond that, uh, some of the other things I think we have to look forward to, we do want to discuss at some point. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how we would describe it. It was what we were talking about earlier in the podcast Kyle, we're talking about the roles of minority in wrestling. We do realize, though, it could be a very, very um, hot-button item. And so we're trying to make sure we're doing it in a way where we're not being insulting or pandering. I think we do, but we do want to tell um, 
real stories. We want to keep everything, um, you know, authentic as much as what we can. Would you, would you agree? Would, um, it's a topic. I think you had mentioned, we had mentioned that we want to bring in, uh, yeah. And I will, I'll try to get a hold of the third party if I can and see if he is willing to do it. Um, but besides that, one of the things I'd also like to do, because I've noticed that in the UK, we seem to have a growing listener base. I would love to do something that is uh, on the topic of something coming from the UK. And I think that would actually be pretty interesting, and I could actually relate stories of when I lived there. So, Kyle, we have about 15 seconds left, my friends, so I will be in touch with you this week. I, I want to wish Hank and his mystery wife a happy wedding anniversary. Yep. Happy anniversary there, Hank. So, all right, Kyle. Talk to you next week there, brother. All right, man.